One of the main ingredients in our product line, Saffron, has been proven over and over again in clinical double-blind placebo trials to be an effective form of treatment for depression, anxiety, and ADHD. Saffron has been used by many cultures for thousands of years for these purposes, and now the research is here to finally back it up, proving that plant medicines and ancient healing practices can actually be an effective alternative to pharmaceuticals. From caffeine-free latte powders to saffron baths and capsules, there's something for any modern woman looking for ancient healing. Again, that's code the fullest podcast at checkout for 15% off. I hope you enjoy your new daily saffron ritual. Hi everyone, welcome to The Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is David Avocado Wolf, who is a nutritionist, among so many other things. He's a philanthropist, he's a protector of wolves, he's an orator, he's so many things, but to me, he just has meant so much um, to me in my life and a dear, dear friend. And I'm just so happy to have you on again. Thank you. Good to see you again. It's been way too long. I know. It's been so long. And, you know, we've traveled together and I've been to so many of your conferences in the past. And I mean, we've spent so much time together, but you really like were the catalyst for me to just think outside the box, to have different perspectives, to look at nutrition in a different way, in a way where you just can see that nature gives us what we need at the times when we need it and in the colors where we need it for our different auras. Just like the way that you perceive the world completely shifted my life. And I just am so grateful for you. Thank you. And um, it's like dictated a lot of how I, you know, have my business and raise my family and stuff. So I'm just excited to have you on because I think last time we talked and we talked about your history and like we got into different subjects, but I think now um, as the fullest has grown, like we've really honed in on this idea of ancient rituals for the modern person and woman. And I, I know that you've just traveled the world and you've really made that part of your education in life. And I'm curious, like to start, if you could share with us just different routines or rituals that have really, um, spoken to you over the years, cause you've traveled the whole world. Like you've spent so much time. Oh, good. We're going to get into ancient old brand new. Yeah. That's a favorite topic of mine. Okay, ancient cool. old brand new is a really good strategy. <laughs> Take what's ancient old, make it brand new. Take what's brand new, make it ancient old, put it all together, and there you have a good strategy for life. The systems that I've been using lately has been, for the last five years, we've been doing about four or five cleanses a year. And, And that's something that all ancient peoples kind of had to go through that because of the cycles of food and the cycles of the season. And I was reading up on the Comanches recently. I read an entire book on the Comanches, the empire of the summer moon. And they are the only confirmed people I know of in the history of the world that ate 100% wild food diet. Wow. And it's, when you eat like that, you eat from nature, there's going to be, there's going to be feasts and there's going to be famine. Now we have to mimic that in the, in the world that we're in today. So that's why we do the cleanses and we do the fasts. And so I've been doing four of those five of the sometimes a year. And right now we're in day 16, actually in day two of water fast. How long do you do the water fast? I'll go probably seven or eight days, but you never know. I might want to go longer. We'll see. Have you gone longer? I've gone longer. I've done 12 day water fast, but I've done a lot of week long water fast, tons of them, Whoa. probably 15 of them, maybe more. So you do it every season. Change yeah, every season. That's right. Yeah. So instead of the way that it would normally work is like, okay, it's the end of winter. We're starving, you know, and you naturally have to fast, which is like kind of right now. Yeah. What would happen is, is, you know, we have to come and mimic that. And so that's yeah. what we're doing this cleanse. Wow. And that's a, that's a cool strategy so that you're, you're constantly keeping your body refreshed and renewed. We went and had some stem cells taken out of our, out of our fat actually by a doctor friend of mine. He really wanted to do this procedure. I was like, okay, we finally settled on doing it. And and he and we saw my fat. He he's like, this I've never seen anything like this, because it was pink and it was actually like like fresh. Whoa! Because most people's fat is black. It's wow. like like you know black lung. Like when people smoke all the time, that's really what people's fat actually looks like. It's like dark black. It has soot in it. 
because of all the, you know, we're living in a toxic environment. And unless you strategically work on cleansing your body, that's what's going to happen. And then, and then it's just a roulette game of like, okay, I hope that I make it long enough with this much soot. It really depends on your genetics. So what we're doing is we're always strategically trying to increase the, the potential of making it longer, living longer and happier and healthier along the way. And that's really the whole idea of nutrition. That's the whole idea of detox. It's really the whole idea of, of the new you. Yeah. What about like, um, you know, I know you're a big fan of spring, um, hot springs and yes. that hot and cold, um, you know, enemas. <laughs> I, was, I did some about- hot and cold last night. That was intense. <laughs> what were you doing? You know, when you're fasting, especially when you bring your calories down. So, I, you know, you spend two weeks, we spend two weeks bringing our calories down, going onto a liquid diet, you know, trying to get all the extraneous stuff out of the way. And then your body temperature goes down. So the next thing I know, I'm in a cryo chamber and it's freezing. I mean, it's, oh my it's God. Like minus 111 centigrade and it was cold. And, and so then, then they're like, they recognize me after I came out of the cryo chamber. They, they're like, can you go back in and then we'll film you coming out? Oh God. And so and I went, like, but I, which is cool. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get my extra like 30 seconds or whatever in there. So I went back in there and got my extra time, which was, which was fine. But my nose, I was freezing it was intense and then i was like can i go in your sauna so then they're like oh yeah so i got the hot cold last night it was wonderful yeah but in nature how would you get like i mean in iceland for example you have that naturally right you have the hot springs and then you're freezing when you get out and you have the river but where else would have that or what other cultures would have that many cultures had a sweat lodge we we've done a lot of sweats with native people all over the North American continent and also Central America and many cultures would have a sweat lodge so you go into an inipi or you go into like a little yeah I I like the clay hut ones that the Havasupai people do down in the Grand Canyon and they actually get into the earth so their their sweat lodge is actually in the earth it's so epic you're in a hole in the earth in the clay and you're just crowded in there and it's just as hot as you can imagine and then you come out of there and you're going into spring water because their river there that runs by their creek is all spring fed and so you get that ice cold spring water cool off and then you go back in again that's really it's one of the greatest highs known Yeah. yeah back and forth it's one of the greatest highs known i mean that's one of the things that you know that's people you know they look at this from the outside and they're like why do these russians like what are they doing? Or, yeah. you know, why do these native people get in these like sweat lodges and then go into cold rivers? What, Vim Hof, this guy's a maniac. Yeah. It's, you get addicted to it. It feels so good. It's a, one of the healthiest things you can do. Yeah. What about enemas? Oh, I, enemas are very important where I'm at with my cleanse right now because you don't want to be carrying waste in your body. If your intestines have waste in it, you're going to be like, oh, I really need that food. Oh, I really want something to eat. As soon as that's all emptied out with the enemas and colonics, you're not craving anything anymore. So you're, you're, it's easy. Like day one was easy for me this time. Day two is going easy so far. I think it's going to be an easy one. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it's sometimes the cleanse, it plays tricks on you. When I flew back from Hawaii just the other day and I, you know, I slept on the plane and I was like all over the place. It was a rough one. And I felt like, Oh, I got I should eat something like, you know, crunchy or eats, you know, eat the <laughs> wrong thing. And I was like, no, just don't do it. Just hang in there. And I just held out. That's, that's rough. And it was a rough day. The next morning I was perfectly fine. Like nothing happened. Wow. And I was like, my God, thank God I didn't cave into my little monkey mind. Yeah. But it was amazing. So, I mean, in the past, I remember you saying, thank God for a coffee because no one would poop basically <laughs> because that's how everyone regulates their digestion. But when it comes to like enemas and colonics, you know, I've definitely done my fair share where I go overboard too. So I'm curious what you think is like a healthy balance. Maybe obviously when you're fasting, you want to continually do them like daily, but then would you say that people should do an enema daily or maybe once weekly? I remember I went to OHI one time and they were saying like, if you're not going to fast for a week out of the month, then do one day every week. So I'm curious, like your thoughts on that. I've seen people who are incredibly fit, super athletes, incredible yogis that do a coffee enema every day religiously. Mm-hmm. I've seen people that tell me that that disturbs their system. Yeah. I'm kind of like that. It's like, I don't really need a coffee enema every day. Like, hey, if I do maybe 12 a year, cool. All right. Yeah. You know, that's great. I'm doing great. If I did 12 colonics a year, I'm doing great. And that's kind of the maximum for me. But that's just me. I mean, I've known people who've done 
literally a thousand colonics in their life. Yeah. That's that much. And they just, and they look great. They're 75 years of age. They look fantastic. I'm like, Oh man, this is good. Yeah. So it really, you have to depend. It depends on you. If, if it is something that happens like ritually when you're cleansing, which is what I do. Perfect. Really good way to do it. If it's something you go, you know what? I really want to make this part of my lifestyle and it's really working for you. Okay, cool. I definitely would recommend enemas when you travel. Because that's when people get really constipated in reality. Yeah, when you get on a flight and it totally changes. Yeah. Yeah, everybody gets... And you're dehydrated. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then hotels and different environment and people get constipated. So enemas in that situation, very effective. It's so true because with kids, I see it so clearly. Like with my son, he has perfect digestion and I'm always just so jealous. I'm like, this is amazing. But on travel days, I know he's not going to poop. He never poops on travel days, whether we're driving or flying, it doesn't happen. But when we're any other day, like once we get regulated into the, you know, into the hotel or whatever, then... He's fine. That's it's that's crazy. This is like one of the big patterns that we get into with the cleanses. When I start people on the cleanses, I you know, I say to them, How many trips have you gone on where you got constipated and you got behind in your bowel movements, but you never caught up? Yeah. Right? People never catch up. So with the cleansing four times a year, so through the seasons, you're able to catch up. You're able to get back on track to where you were. And then not only is it great for like losing weight and feeling good and, you know, it brightens your, your whole outlook and it's, it's just really good for your willpower and your self-esteem, but it's also really important that we get that waste out mm-hmm. and that you don't put more stuff in on top of the waste that's already there. Yeah. What do you think about, like, have you done Panchakarma? I've done Panchakarma. I was just, where was I? I was just somewhere and I was on day 14 of the cleanse and this person was on day 13 of their Panchakarma. Wow. Yeah, that was kind of cool. And I like Panchakarma. I, I like all different strategies of, of cleansing cleansing, and, and healing. And so I try to incorporate them as best as you can. I mean, what, you know, there's only so much you can do. One of the reasons why I like fasting so much is because I get more time mm-hmm. so that I can do all the things to like, I'll go back to the cryo thing today and I'm going to do all their things again. Yeah. Normally I'm like so busy and I've got, you know, then we got to be at dinner and then we got to go to this place. It's way, you get way behind on, on the rituals that are good for your health. That's the other thing I was going to ask you as just in day to day life, what are your rituals? Like outside of cleansing on seasonally, what do you do every day? That's consistent. It, it and really I know depends on where I'm at. Even like things, tips like adding salt to your water and stories like that, I think have really supported my shift in perspective too, because I remember one time you were saying something about how salt is alive. I mean, depending on what kind of salt you're adding to your water and like how it Sea moves. salt's alive. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. But then getting the right sea salt because they're also, I mean, I know you have a really good one that you like. The Icelandic sea salt is, you, you know how much yeah. we love Iceland. So the Icelandic sea salt comes from an awesome spot in Iceland. It's literally a hundred percent eco. It's all, it's all evaporated off. The water's evaporated off from the sea using geothermal energy. So it's 100% eco. Cool spot. So that's Icelandic flake salt or Icelandic sea salt. Another spot I really like is the Makai salt that comes from the big island of Hawaii off the south point of the big island. And they pick up the water from 2,000 feet down. So there's no microplastics, anything like that in there. That's another really good one. And I really like my friend's um, product, Master Salt, where she mixes 40 different salts from around the world into one Myron glass container. That's a favorite of ours, Master Salt. So I've really gotten into salts over the years as opposed to like going deeper in on foods. I mean, of course, I'm really deep on all these foods. But when you're fasting, I mean, I fast on spring water, sea salt, and limes. That's what I'm actually having right here. Wow. And it's, this is, I mean, you realize how much you need to drink. You know what I mean? Like more, most of the time we're, we're really thirsty, but we're like, oh, let me eat dinner. I'm really thirsty, but oh, let me eat lunch. Totally. And when you get on the water, you're like, oh, thank God I'm drinking water. And hydrating water. Because if you drink too much just water, you're going to get dehydrated. You'll pee it all out. If you just have too much salt, you'll get basically dehydrated because yeah. you have too much salt. So it's a, it's an isotonic balance between the two that's very important for people to understand. Very important for athletes, yogis, fitness, weekend warriors. Because when you get the right amount, you need less water and you need less salt. You get the right amount, you're actually hydrated. What a concept. Yeah. And that's, that is amazing. And actually I learned this 
over the years by trial and error and some of the more interesting people I've met. And that's what we get the cleanse groups on. We're like, look, dump that toxic salt that's used as a preservative in all our foods and let's get on the real salt, sea salt. And then from there, let's start adding salt to our water. So instead of salting our food, salt your water and then find out what real hydration is about. So for example, I can go to a Bikram yoga. There's no way I ever need to drink water through a Bikram yoga class. No no way, not even close. I don't need to drink water through any fitness, anything. I'll be out there in the jungle for four hours chopping and dropping. That's part of my rituals, by the way, is if I'm at home in in Hawaii, I'll be out in the jungle for at least two hours a day, sometimes four hours a day, just chopping and dropping and planting stuff and trimming things and fixing stuff and that kind of a thing. Um, But again, if I'm in Southern California, like I'm at right now, it's going to be something different. I might walk up to top of the world. I'm going to be doing something different for my exercise and fitness regime and also something different nutritionally too, because of where you are. Yeah. What about the lime? Like the lime, does it help you go longer in your water fast? No, there actually, there's the reason why I like to add citrus to, to water is it's interesting. I've done many fasts without it and many with it. And I've been calibrating the difference. And there's a couple of things I've noted also with bringing groups through water fast, which we're bringing a group of a couple hundred people through it right now. Wow. And one of the things is, is that citrus is bright. It's very sunny. It's solar. It's very happy. And so as you fast, it's, you have to really consciously bring your vibe up sometimes because you'll emotionally detox with physical toxins yeah. and that can drag you down. So you feel like, Oh, I'm just getting dragged down. I got to get my vibe up. But with the citrus, it's already bright. It kind of gets, it cut, cuts you right to that, that vibration automatically. Another thing is that the citric acid is a very good, it's a very good acid against the crust that builds up that typically hits our kidneys when we get deep into a cleanse. So from the foods of civilization and the environmental toxins and just normal life stress, we build up a crust in our body. That's that soot I'm talking about. And it's like a hardened material that when it gets dislodged, hits our kidneys and all of a sudden you go, oh, I got back pain. I'm four days into a water fast. How could I have back pain? It's the crust gets dislodged. And so we got to break that up. And that's where the citric acid is very helpful. So if I'm bringing a group, we're always, we got to be on the citrus for sure. What if you don't want to do a water fast? (laughs) What else could you do? We just just keep on liquids. So if if this is day 16, so some people are day eight right now of, or day nine actually of doing just all liquid diet Mm -hmm. and that's cool and that's fine. And some people, you know, like I had, I got a message this morning. This was so cool. This has been a person who has been overweight. She's been with me for years. She's been struggling against her own willpower and just, you know, just trying to just get it done. I'm just like, keep exercising that muscle. Keep trying, keep going today. She sent me a message. She said, I did it. I did my first day of water. I almost cried. I was like, because I know her and I know how difficult that was for her. She did it. And that was so powerful. I was like, man, that is what a, what a message, what a testimony just to overcome that inner demon Mm -hmm. that says, no, you got to distract yourself with food. No, you should really do this. You know, and, and this is more difficult for some people than others. And for her, it's been very difficult and she did it. I love that because I've also heard, I mean, like you're saying, we have this monkey mind and we like to sabotage our goals a lot of the times, just like how many of us experience. But I've, the way I've been told this one time was, um, like doing things that are outside of what you want to do. It's like a lack of boundaries, a lack of self-respect in a way. And that's something that we want to continue to practice like you said exercise that muscle because it's so easy to just not hold boundaries because it seems selfish or upsets I mean even like you were saying with oh I gotta get to dinner it's like other people get upset if you're fasting and you don't want to have dinner with them or don't want to feel like hanging out because you're trying oh, to take I'll go care. to dinner with them yeah <laughs> <laughs> I go to dinner with them it's a amazing to go to like a restaurant, especially like really fancy restaurant in Hawaii, a really fancy restaurant here in Southern California and just watch what's going on. Yeah. It's really amazing. But that's what I mean is people don't see things the way you see it. (laughs) Like stories you've said, even about watch seeing like rhodiola grow off of a cliff. Right. And you're like, there's no soil. There's nothing here. What does that say about this plant? I mean, I feel like you have a name for it, but I don't know. We call those types of plants epiphytes. They live off the air, the atmosphere or the rock itself, but there's no soil. I mean, in Hawaii, we've got noni. Many people know about noni juice. I've seen noni trees, full fruits, full flowers, full abundance, full leaves, everything, a beautiful fruit tree, no soil growing right out of a lava field. Yeah. 
You just go, whoa, look at that. And what does that teach us? It teaches that something's interesting about that root. So noni root is really a powerful substance. It's in the quinone group. It's in the coenzyme Q10, PQQ group, methylene blue group, for those who are familiar with that. And then the same is true with rhodiola. Like rhodiola root is what we're using. And if you look at like rhodiola root, you're like, it's like, what's it living on? It's not in any soil. Like what's going on here? Yeah. What about mushrooms? Oh, that's a whole great category. I mean, you know, I'm a medicinal mushroom hunter and a mushroom hunter in general and a mushroom eater big time. And I do believe that to be completely like wholesome as a human being, you have to have about, you know, 10% of your diet needs to have some mushrooms in it because mushrooms are like a human being. They're very alchemical. They're uh, incredibly mysterious. They're very unusual in the environment. I mean, one mushroom can differ radically from another in its behavior and what it's doing and its nutrients and what it can do for us and how it affects children versus adults versus elderly. Yeah. It's fascinating. Do you think that that just kind of made me think the way you said it, that obviously people come to this sort of lifestyle from different experiences. Some people enter through food and then the food wakes them up. Some people enter through an experience, a traumatic, maybe something happened to them and then they're emotionally working on themselves, right? So do you think that foods connect us more with, make us more spiritual? It's a pathway for that, for sure, to realize where the food comes from. And this thing that I mentioned about the Comanches being on a wild food diet, that's definitely powerful, very powerful to eat wild food and how it connects you to the source energy of the, the everything that's all because there's no intermediary yeah there's there's the food from earth and then it's you and it's just from the tree to me that's really powerful and that's still happening like there are people out there that are still only eating wild or this is like an ancient this culture was, well this was a race of people that is that we can confirm ate a wild food diet which is really incredible because we can go back to like the scythians for example and we can look at their history and they're supposedly they ate a wild food diet but we can't confirm it yeah but with the comanches we can confirm it yeah. And that's really amazing. So wild food is best. Wild mushrooms are awesome. Every day, like when I'm in Canada, one of our daily rituals is we go to the lake, we go swim. And then on the way back home, we pick mushrooms and then we cook those for dinner at is, night. Is there a way to know which mushrooms are poisonous and which aren't? There's ways to know, of course, but you have to, <laughs> you have to become an expert in it because yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite dangerous with ground mushrooms, with mushrooms that grow out of the earth, with tree mushrooms, r- mushrooms that grow on, on living or dead trees. It's much easier. There's almost no toxic mushrooms that grow out of trees. In fact, in Southern California, there are none. There's no toxic mushroom that's going to come out of a tree in Southern California. So you can go foraging and know that you can eat and, that and, and cook you, that? Yeah. Well, it's, they come out as conks. So they're, they're woody they're rich in chitin so they're not edible in the sense of like you you try to chew it it's like chewing a two by four not going to get very far so traditionally native people and historically human beings have always taken those conks or those medicinal mushrooms that come from trees and put them in water and made tea out of it or simmered them to try to really get the deeper things out of it which today we can do with alcohol so today, you know, the, the alcohol can get more of those oil-soluble, deeper nutrients and medicinal compounds that are buried deep in the mushroom that would only be possible by boiling it and simmering and boiling it and simmering it for long days. Mm-hmm. Speaking of alcohol, what do you think about alcohol? I'm not really an alcohol drinker. I mean, the only alcohol I can really drink is mezcal. Yeah. And, you know, maybe a tequila here or there, but, and it's got to be a really good quality, but I'm just not an alcohol drinker. I don't. Drink Have you ever or... been, or was it oh, just. I, I can, I was, uh, when I was younger, <laughs> I mean, Santa I, could, I was <laughs> hardcore. I was hardcore. Yeah. Like I could, I could, I could hang in there with the, the best Irish kids. I oh know. my gosh. Yeah. I could easily drink a dozen beers in a night. No problem. Or even wow. 20. And how did you shift over to juice and, you know, superfoods? Well, when I got away from the alcohol and I I got into the raw foods and one day I had a colonic, I went in and got a colonic and all this yellow stuff came out like bile fluid or liver. It was like a liver dump after that alcohol and me just, we missed. It just was like, that does not vibe with me anymore. I was never the same after that. So that was a big change. So that's what got me off drinking beer and kind of even regularly drinking any kind of alcohol that all ended at that moment. And for many years I drank no alcohol at all. It's, it's not a thing that, you know, it's not like a thing where I go like, oh, I got to go out and drink with my friend. It's not a thing that I really enjoy, but yeah. it's kind of fun if you're in the moment. And people are like, okay, we're going to do a shot of mezcal. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. let's do yeah. it. Yeah, I know. I think I, 
I'm the same. I mean, I used to, but I think it was just peer pressure or society or something. But I'm curious, do you think the colonic made it so you saw what was going on in your body or you physically or you just like didn't like the vibe? You were just like, this it, it doesn't was a even physical, work. a visceral, physical thing. Wow. Yeah, it changed. And talking about liver, because I think I've done a colonic cleanse where you do your seven days of colonic or whatever, and you take their supplements like psyllium husk and all that. And then you do, you drink oil and you lay on your side and then that's your liver flush or whatever with maybe, I don't know if there's a citrus involved in that, but what are other ways to cleanse the liver? Fasting is one of the best ways. It really is because you're just taking the burden off. Now, you, you just shouldn't tomorrow go like, I'm going to fast on water. It's too much. You got to work your way down. That's why we do two weeks, two cycles of seven, actually, to prepare for the third cycle of seven, which is going to be the, the fasting week. Because even when you start fasting, even for a single day, you're still not quite dredging things out yeah. until your blood sugar drops, bottoms out. Wow. And when your blood sugar bottoms out, after that moment happens, which is normally the moment, as soon as our blood sugar drops out, we're like, I got to eat something. I got to do this. I got to drink something. I got to have something. Because if we eat anything, if we eat a steak, for example, there's no sugar in a steak, but your blood sugar is going to go up by 30% just from the eating. Yeah. That's a response that your body has. So it's, we have to let that completely bottom out. And then after that, you then you're in the deep healing. That's where the healing's happening. And I know that because people be like, oh my God, I'm gonna go through a rough time. I made it through day four. Oh God, day five is so <laughs> tough. And as soon as they have any amount of sugar, any amount, a little bit of coconut water, it stops. The symptoms stop. And that tells you. Yeah. Right? So that's what I've been coaching people. I'm like, watch, watch what happens, right? You might make it two and a half days into the water. You might go, I'm just suffering too much. I got to have something. As soon as you have that coconut water, it will all stop. It'll all be over. Why is that? Because your blood sugar went back up. That's so funny you say that because with Zach, we're talking a lot about um, the MCAT that the kids have. And, you know, typically they say with MCAT, 12 hours is as long as you can go without eating before you go into ketosis for the rest of their lives. But he was trying to tell me your liver has reserves for 48 to 72 hours. So, and, and then also with MCAD, like traditional doctors say, you know, carbs, this, this, but he's like, you can still eat steak and fermented veggies like sauerkraut and you have their blood sugar is going to go up. So it's so funny that you say that because in my mind, when I think of ketosis or I think about, you know, someone on a keto diet having absolutely no carbs and going into ketosis or staying in ketosis. So like what is, so anything contributes to your blood sugar. Anything Everything turns into sugar, even if you're on a keto diet. That's right. It's yep. so crazy. It's like the opposite of what we've been taught, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just amazing. It's what happens to you as you get deeper and deeper into the cleansing, you start to realize. And also this thing that he said about 48 hours, 72 hours of glycolysis, breaking down that, that liver fat. He's right. Now, as soon as we get past that stage, which is say That's day exactly three on the saying. water, yeah. then you start going after the belly fat and the other fat and you go deeper. That's when you go. That's when the cleanse turns on. That's when the juice happens. And that, that usually happens for me on day four. So day four, five, six, seven, eight, those are really powerful days. And what we tell people is like, hey, you know, at that stage, let's say you're just wiped out. You have no energy. I just, I've been doing this for a long time. So I just challenged myself. I just like, okay, I'm going to do a water fast. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, I'm just going to do my normal life just like normal, but just without eating and see what happens. But then you work up to that, right? It's a skill you're developing. But those, those later days, like day five, somebody makes it there. You know what? Just lay down and just go, you're on God's operating table. Just say, God, heal me. Just fix everything that's wrong. There's no food in the way. There's nothing else in the way. There's no interference. Make it happen. And that's the most powerful moment. That's really a lot of fun, actually. And, and that's what I'm always striving for with each cleanse, to get to, to God's operating table. Yeah. Speaking of God, like there are different religions that have also incorporated cleansing, like Ramadan and things like that. So what are, share with us some of those practices and what your thoughts are on it. Oh, the Ramadans don't, no eating during the day, right? Yeah, so you, only, only at yeah. night, right? So it's so, like intermittent fasting in a way or? Yeah, it's intermittent fasting, right? Mm -hmm. But what it's doing is it's, this is all religions have this. And the reason why it's so important is because it's helping you to beat your monkey mind. 
Yeah. It's saying like, no, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to impulsively grab that. No, I'm not going to chew that. I'm going to, I'm going to hold out. I'm going to delay gratification, which is the key skill of all success. It's the key skill of all peak performance, right? No, I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to get this next thing done. I could have gone to sleep, but I'm going to get, nope, I'm going to do these two last tasks. I'm going to get them off my, off my plate. They're, they're going to knock them out. That's delaying gratification. What an incredibly important spiritual skill. And see, what's happening is you're strengthening your spirit against the animal nature of the earth. And to me, that is one of the major reasons why I keep doing it because it's like, as much as I think I got it beat, nope, it creeps back in. And then you're, you know, like that day on the plane when I slept on the plane and all this stuff came up the next morning. It's like fighting it off, fighting it off, fighting it off, fighting off all these temptations. And then again, the very next day after that, I was a hundred percent fine. So, so it's crazy because you think, you know, that monkey mind, you think of, oh, if I cave into the monkey mind, you know, at least I'll be, I'll be satisfied and then I'll be, you know, off the cleanse and then we go back to normal, whatever. No, they won't just go to sleep and get to the next day and it'll be back to normal. That's all you need to do. What do you do to stay connected spiritually? Connected to nature. I'm just connected to nature and also connected to, um, curating my feed so that the things that I'm seeing, the things that I'm reading are enhancing my spiritual practice. So for example, if I'm fasting, I like reading books about fasting or reading spiritual books while I'm fasting. It makes it so much easier. It's so cool. But I'll tell you what makes it easier too. Getting out into nature, being in forests, being in the jungle. That's really amazing. Just the, being barefoot on the earth back in that primal Ur force, you know, that the original Jing energy of mother nature is, is one of the most important nutrients. And what are some practices? Because I've been reading a lot about it's like to unlock miraculous healing or just healing in the body, that combination of emotional work and nutrition at the same time. So do you tell people when they cleanse with you any specifics with the emotional stuff, what to oh, do? It's, yeah, it's all going to be emotional. Yeah. It's, it's all emotional and mental. It really has nothing to do with the physical. I mean, I'm, we're going through the motions of doing the colonics yeah, and the animals yeah. and stuff like that. But ultimately, all of that is just emotional and physical or mental work that you're doing. And, and so, yeah, for example, you know, when you're dredging out the toxins, so you're actually finally scraping that bottom of that lake out and you're getting all that gunk out, it's all interwound with emotional stuff. Yeah. We, we, we packed it in with emotional turmoil. So we got constipated because, you know, our parents were arguing or fighting and, you know, we, we held on to it. And then one day that stuff is coming up for detox. Yeah. And all of those feelings will come with it. And that to me is one of the most amazing things because it proves that we're not just a physical being. It proves for sure that we're an emotional, spiritual, and mental being too. That makes sense because we have... Um a vaginal steaming kit that we sell at the fullest. And I've been trained in supporting women in that. And I've been reading so much more about it. I just love reading it and it heals trauma for women. So not only are the herbs going in and supporting and the steam is getting, you know, stuff out when you do have your cycle, but it's the trauma that so many women have experienced that are now being healed. So what are some other practices like that? I mean, other than obviously, you know, we've been talking a lot about cleansing, but like what other practices are healing that trauma, that emotional trauma, but you're doing it physically? Oh, good. I, well, I think a really powerful way to heal trauma is just deep diaphragmatic breathing. If you, if you really are paying attention to someone who's reliving a trauma, you can see major changes in their breathing pattern, right? They're shallow breathing They're, you know, they go right back into it with their breath. So deep, long diaphragmatic breathing, holding your breath too. breath retention is really powerful. So that, that came up. That's something I, I think about a lot is just if I'm in an emotional turmoil or somebody else is like, Hey, take a deep breath. Like just actually take a deep diaphragmatic breath, hold your breath let it out slowly. Let's do another one. And the typical pattern of that is a one, four, two pattern, which is, let's say you breathe in for five seconds. That's say one. And then you're going to hold for 20 seconds times four. And then you're going to retain it for 10 seconds too. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to breathe out for one, five seconds, wow. one, four, yeah. two like that. And so th that to me has been a really interesting way of dealing with tumultuous, emotional, stressful times. What about if someone's like going through a really hard time or what people call the dark night of the soul and they really need some support from 
someone else. What's your, what are your favorite types of therapy? You know, there's, there are people that aren't doing well with talk therapy, right? There's EMDR, there's different types. So what are your favorite that you've read about that you've seen really be successful? Uh, just in emotional therapy? Yeah. I, well, I like the idea of people, you know, going and doing shamanic work with um, sacred plants. Mm -hmm. And I know pe people are really good at that. And I've got a guy staying at my house, actually, Don Roussel, um, oh, yeah. Russell, who's yeah. at my house right now, who's really good at that. And so I got to see him every day. The way he's working with people was really powerful. It was really awesome. And then he's, he's also a meme supplier for me, too. So he's sending me memes and <laughs> oh stuff gosh, that are pertinent so to that subject. Yeah. So to work with shamanic plants and really people who are trained shamans is really a good path. And it works for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, it, some people need just somebody to listen to their stuff. Um, some people need to be able to just get it off their chest and just be able to speak it. And uh, the shamanic environment allows that kind of stuff to happen when you have the right person. Like Don Roussel is like, he's able to listen. He really is a good listener. He likes listening. It's a lot of people don't like listening. Yeah. He does. And he wants to hear what the person's issue really is. And he really wants to help that person. Um, in his case, he works with ayahuasca because that's what he's trained in. He's trained in the jungle. He spent a year actually straight in the jungle training with the shamans down there. And it's, and I, I, I was in touch with him during that process. It was very, very difficult. Most people wouldn't make it mm -hmm. because they really put you through it because they want to make sure you're really authentically oriented towards that work. Yeah. I know. Yeah, because I feel like today there's so many people that take people through journeys. And they're not the right people. Yeah. yeah I, I get that too. That, so that's why I generally say, you know, go to the jungle and go down there and get Do, that experience. Although there, you might get lucky with someone like Russell. Yeah. Who's, who's done the really work. really awesome. Yeah. I mean, we did, you know, Convo in Peru and that was really transformative for me. And I remember when I was going to do Aya with Russell, um, I remember you saying, you know, I is not for me. I don't feel the need to do it all the time. It's not necessarily the thing I want to do. And I thought that was interesting because at the time I was like, oh, okay. I think in today's world, people are just finding out more and more about these things. So they want to do it and they might not even think, is this right for me? Even, even outside of, is this person right for me? It's like, is this plant right for me? And also I'm curious for just to ask you, you know, you've been around people that have been in this world. Do you think that there's a, you know, do you think that there's going overboard with this sort of thing? What do you think about just using medicinal plants that are just herbs, like gentle herbs in replacement of that, or just being like sober and not doing any of it? Well, there's all, all those paths are valid. It really depends on the person. So let's just talk about where it gets into trouble. When the person's using the plant for escaping then there's trouble. That's for sure. Yeah. So we can see that the escapism is really a major part of alcoholism. Yeah. It's a ma major part of all drug addiction. So that's the, that's kind of the marker is like, Oh, this person's trying to escape their life. That's what's going on here. Then we know trouble's brewing. But if it's something that's like, if somebody smokes cannabis and once a week or whatever, it's just, they enjoy it and it's fun for them. That's not going to harm them. Yeah. But if they're doing it every day to escape their life, it's going to harm them. Mm -hmm. And are there ways where you think it's better, like eating cannabis versus smoking cannabis or are they just different? And it's different. I mean, you have to look at it yourself. I was always favorable to eating it because that was the more natural way historically that cannabis had been consumed with a drink called bang. <laughs> I mean, that was really? the ancient Vedic drink. It's called bang. I always had this idea of bang airlines, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> Wait, it was an ancient Vedic drink? Or? Yes. Oh, yeah. Where they, really? where they basically, what they're doing, they're macerating the cannabis in milk and honey. Of course, because kind of everything and, that yeah, they then, do is and like... And they consume it then. Because the smoking idea is really a later thing that came mostly from the Americas. In the Americas, the native people were into smoking stuff like tobacco. Yeah. But that wasn't a tradition in like India. That's something that came later. They, they didn't have a smoking tradition. They consumed it. So that, you know, you got to look at the ancient way these things are done. And not only did they consume it, they consumed it in certain formulas. For example, common in the bang formula, another thing was common was mugwort. So now mugwort is a spirit protector. It's not just any old herb. And 
why did they have that in the bang? Because when you take any kind of shamanic plant, you open yourself up to the spirit world. And so therefore it's nice to have a protector there, a little guardian going, let me yeah. just keep an eye on you. Aww. Right. And that's something to be considering too. So I always took it all the way back to the ancient formulas. Let me just look back. How did they do this? Okay. How did native Americans in North America smoke tobacco? And which kind of tobacco were they smoking? Mm-hmm. They weren't smoking the Orinoco tobacco that came through the Virginia colony. That's the main dominant tobacco that people smoke in the world and in America today. Yeah. They didn't even have that kind of tobacco. They had uh, Nicotiana rustica. And Nicotiana rustica is an aloe polyploid, which means it itself is the product of two other plants' genetics, two other species of Nicotiana, um, Nicotiana undulata and paniculata, and Nitiana too, actually three in that particular case. So then what, where do those come from? What's the history? That's what, that's how deep I go. I mean, I go all the way into these shamanic traditions because I have a passion for it and an interest. So that's what I'd recommend. If someone wants to go down that path, really go, then go down that path. Hey everyone, I'm so excited to talk to you about Healthy Line. It's a brand I absolutely love and trust and they're offering 10% off fullest podcast listeners and free shipping if you use code THEFULLEST at checkout. If you haven't heard of Healthy Line, they have totally revolutionized heat therapy. They use PEMF mats and far infrared mats that are designed to improve your health and wellness using natural gemstone heat therapy. Their nature-inspired medical devices will really help you on your motherhood journey as well if you're a mom because having kids can really drain you. They have so much energy. They're so wonderful, but keeping up with them is so difficult. So if you're a mom that needs a little bit of an extra boost throughout the week and you don't want to rely on just coffee or matcha for that, I would definitely invest in this. You can even get just a small mat. You get 20 to 40 minutes, maybe a few times a week on the mat, or you can even sleep on it. It's totally safe to sleep on and you get that extra boost in energy to help keep up with life because there's so much that we're bombarded with throughout the day and stress is a huge part of chronic illness. And if you're able to calm your nervous system to really get to a place of relaxation and recouping, then you're really able to get ahead of so many of the symptoms of disease that we all experience, whether that's something you're dealing with that's an autoimmune condition, your postpartum, you're working on your fertility, you really just want to be really great in terms of fitness and recovery from a workout, whatever it is that you're working on, laying on a PEMF mat is totally going to regulate you. And it's something that I really believe in. This is how I get in my heat therapy. So I'm so excited that you guys get 10% off anything on their website, including free shipping. Just use code THEFULLEST at checkout and you'll get that discount. So what we're, what we're bumping into with this conversation is we're bumping into our philosophy of reality. Yeah. Everybody has their own theory of reality, which really is their religion. It's their belief system. It's their religion. And so I've been warning people for a long time that, hey, you should, you know, look at what Rudolf Steiner has to say about evil. And so we'll get into that real quickly. And and this is my personal take on what's going on because Rudolf Steiner called it. He called it precisely better than any philosopher or any channeler or any clairvoyant in history. He nailed it. He nailed what was going to happen in the 20th century. He nailed what was going to happen the to the year, what was going to happen in the 20th century, even after his death. And he also nailed what's going to happen in the 21st century. And we're in it right now. And you're seeing a resurgence in interest in Rudolf Steiner because of this. Because people are like, wait, what did he say? What does it say? Like, yeah. He wrote that 1920? What? And Rudolf Steiner was, let's just lay out who he was. Yeah. Just from a level of intellect and his understanding of Western philosophy, Rudolf Steiner was probably the greatest philosopher in history. And I know that from his book, The Riddles of Philosophy. I have a degree in philosophy. It was political science, but it was really philosophy. We went, we went through everything from Schopenhauer to Thomas Aquinas to Aristotle to Plato to Socrates to Kant to Nietzsche. We did it all. And there's nothing like Rudolf Steiner. Rudolf Steiner in his book, The Riddles of Philosophy, which is about a 500-page book, lays out his analysis of every great philosopher in history. Wow. Just his grasp of that right there would put him as one of the leading professors of any university of philosophy ever. Mm -hmm. But that's just a small, tiny fraction, less than 1% of what Rudolf Steiner is all about. Eventually, 
I realized that Rudolf Steiner put out about a million pages of material. Now, let me tell you how crazy that is. If you crunch the numbers on that, because we just throw around these numbers out, million, you know, we throw that out, millionaire, billionaire, we throw yeah. that out. We don't realize how big of a number that is. A million pages of material is 50 to 60 pages every single day of your life from age 15 to 65, every day, Monday through Sunday, no days off. Wow. That's the level of output of Rudolf Steiner. So that right there is just, wait, what? And then his, his creation of biodynamic farming, which led to organic, the organic standard is a derivative of biodynamic farming, which was created in the 1920s. Waldorf education is created Montessori schools, Waldorf schools, all kinds of things there. That was all Rudolf Steiner. But beyond that, what Rudolf Steiner said is that, that the human being is beset on two sides by two forms of evil or parasites or two forces that actually help the human being to evolve and, and improve. And those forces on one side are the aramonic forces of materialism, algorithm thinking, and physical reality being the only reality. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the Wall Street stockbroker, mm-hmm. right? Like, and they will die, by the way, of an aromonic condition, heart, heart disease, stroke. Those are aromonic conditions. And that's what he says? That's what he said. Wow. Right? Because if you're of that consciousness that this is only physical, we got to count the numbers, I need a mansion and a yacht, then what will happen to you is you'll die of an aromonic condition, which will be, you'll be sedimented over. You'll actually create arthritis or you'll create a, um, a heart attack or stroke due to the buildup of calcification. The other side that besets the humankind and the human's voyage through life is the escapism and the false light. So, for example, we're going to a, a wonderful expo this weekend, and you'll see a lot of false light there, which is totally. I'm a channeler and I'm channeling this stuff through, but they're <laughs> not aware of the luciferic impulses that Rudolf Steiner warned us about of basically like hopium, for example, is a very luciferic impulse. Like, oh, no, 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 you know, just trust the plan. Everything's going to work out, you know, that kind of a hopium. Yeah. That I don't need to do anything. That's hopium. That's very luciferic. It's escapism. You do need to be responsible and you need to take action. It's, it's thought, word, and deed on this earth. Yeah. Right? Not to think so is, gonna, is escapism, which leads to disintegration, which leads to diabetes. Oh, my god! So the Eastern guru that says this world's not real, denounce this world, is a false light, actually. It's not as dangerous, not nearly as dangerous as the Aramonic influence. But what it does is it causes diabetes. It's going to lead to disintegration. It's going to disintegrate you as a human being. You're going to fade out. Your light's going to fade out. You've given over to a false light. So and it's like the, spiritual bypassing. Like it's just, a spiritual bypass. Well said. Wow. And in the center is the, is the human journey that is creativity. See, when you're creating, you're automatically dispelling these forces. These forces are eradicated from your reality. It's, Steiner calls that the creative force or the cosmic Christ or the Christ impulse. And also when you're in love and you're in a state of love and compassion, you're doing things out of love, you immediately push away those forces. Those forces are disintegrated. Loving assistance actually is one of the most powerful ways to just drive those forces into oblivion. That's so beautiful. And Isn't that he amazing? said all of this. And, in 1920, <laughs> I, you know, I studied Steiner for 20 years before I finally came to the line. He's like, he, he lays this out in one paragraph at the beginning of one of his books. And, I'm, and he says, this is why I came to earth. This is the message that I have. This is the core of everything I've ever put out there. This is the very core of it. And I was like, it took me, that's why Rudolf Steiner is difficult because there's so much material. It takes a while to get to the core of it. You're like, oh, finally, here it is. So that's when he said, this is why I came here to tell you that there's two forces and like yeah. just, but so, it's an, okay. It's an Aristotelian balance and, and Rudolf Steiner is Aristotle reincarnated and to core of the Rudolf Steiner cosmology is reincarnation. And now if people who don't know about reincarnation or don't believe in it, well, you need to look at the science on it because Ian Stevenson's work on it, Max Tucker's work on it, Dr. Brian Weiss's work on cases, case studies of kids who had information they couldn't have had, usually between the ages of two and six, that from the past life, they had knowledge they could not have had. And, and Ian Stevenson went through every possible explanation. It was a ghost. Somehow they secretly got the information. It's a it, disincarnate being brought them the information, something. But ultimately, the, it's the obvious that we reincarnate. And when you reincarnate, you start to realize about the cycles of life and death and what this life is really all about. It does alleviate, by the way, not believing in, in reincarnation, but knowing it as a reality completely alleviates the, the fear of death. 
Wow. And that's key to Rudolf Steiner because Rudolf Steiner has reincarnated Aristotle and Aristotle came us, gave us the golden mean that virtue is a mm -hmm. balance of forces. You can't just say you're an anti-fascist and suddenly you're virtuous because you might be suddenly working with the fascists again, mm -hmm. right? Because fascism means a union of the corporatocracy or big tech with the government. Now we've seen that play out. We've seen that happen. That's fascism. Mm -hmm. Then the people who say they're anti-fascist are actually in reality being directed, puppet mastered by the actual fascists. Mm -hmm. So the actual middle between the two is liberty. Wow. And that's what we're striving for. And this is true of everything. And so Steiner came back to just elucidate those Aristotelian principles and give more juice to them and make them more useful for the human being in daily life. If you see yourself escape, escaping, if you see yourself involved in escapism, you can recognize it now. If you see yourself involved in, I got to count the, you know, I got to get the bills paid. We got to do this. Okay. And you suddenly get super into materialism. We got to make money for money's sake and that kind of stuff. Then you can recognize it based on these indications by Rudolf Steiner. He's very, it's very helpful. It's useful. What book was that? So or this is in a book called Lucifer and Aramon. Wow. And Lucifer is a force, a demonic parasitic mm. force that's into escapism and false light. Lucifer is the false light, the fallen angel. And then on the other side is Araman, a much more dangerous entity. We're in the middle of an Aramonic deception right now, which is the scientism. Oh, science is going to fix everything. Science, science, science. Science knows everything. We're just going to do science. We're just going to do uh, algorithms. Everything's going to be figured out with algorithms. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Ultimately, the science is godly, ultimately. But what people don't realize is it's co-opted, massively co-opted, so that they're actually skipping the science and then using the veneer of science and exactly. saying, this is science. I am the science. Remember mm -hmm. that? What, yeah. And it's interesting because I, I, I love everything or his philosophy. I love Waldorf. I love biodynamic farming. I wish we had more of it here in the States. I mean, is there a lot of it in Ooh, Germany? I've got, I've got some biodynamic vanilla for you. Really? Oh my God. This is going to, can we bring it out? Yeah, okay. please. For um, people who this are. Is going to, this is going to prove what Rudolf Steiner said, because this is biodynamic vanilla, which people have never seen. You've never Where, seen anything like this. Did you get it like on this. Hawaii? This did is you grow? I grew this oh on our gosh. farm. Um, so let's have, let's see if we can get it yeah, out here. If, um, if you're listening, go on YouTube and then you'll be able to see it. Okay. This so, is so much vanilla. Watch this. The you ready for this? Let's get here. We go. Oh my God. Watch this. Oh. Wow. Well, watch this. You ever see anything like that? No. Smell that. Wow. My God. <gasps> look at that, that vanilla. Look at compared to your pinky. And how, I know. It's That's certified huge. organic, certified biodynamic vanilla. This is insane. I, did you just pick it like this? So I picked it, and then this is naturally ripened in the jungle. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Look at inside That's of yours. That. You're, you're keeping that one. I'm so excited. Look at that. It's huge. Huge. And this is what biodynamics is about. Real forces of nature that you're capturing and you're bringing into the food that you're eating, the food that you're growing, even being around it is incredible. So to me, Rudolf Steiner is bringing together the philosophies of history and making them useful. Like what's more useful than food? That's pretty darn useful. Yeah. Right. What's more useful than knowing like, Hey, I'm trying to escape on Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. This could be a problem. That's very useful. Or I'm too harmonically possessed. I'm too much into the numbers. I'm too much into bouncing the checkbook. I'm too much into getting the yacht. I'm too much into the material things. Useful, useful to know. What do you think about cryptocurrency? Well, cryptocurrency by its nature is harmonic. All technology is by its nature somewhat harmonic because it's a binary code that's behind all of it, right? And that's, that is, Rudolf Steiner says, you must use technology in this way, that this, this lineage of disturbance, harmonic disturbance or harmonic deception that's become our technology today, our phones, our tablets, our computers has to be used for good. Mm -hmm. And that's the only use of it. And that's the way to bring them both together and not be anti, but 
but to use it in a way that's going to... That bring And actually, he cites a Persian philosopher. Wow. One of the great philosophers in history who Rudolf Steiner says something astounding and shocking that I will say, and I'll bring it out here. He says that this, this Christian mystic, who is a Persian philosopher, philosopher from a place called Gandhi Shapur in, in west, southwestern, kind of southwestern Iran, way back in 300 AD, was a higher being than Buddha. Wow. And his name was Manes, M-A-N-E-S. And the teachings of Manes, he says, are absolutely critical to our time. And here's what the teaching is. That any long lineage of evil, like voter fraud and election fraud, where they've slowly but surely over decades, like, okay, we got him here. Okay, we scammed him here. Okay, we got this here. At the last second, when you take a long lineage of evil like that and you turn it to good, that is the teaching of Manny's. And that is the thing, the very thing that freaks out the Aramonic forces. That taking something that is ultimately, when you really break it down, like a phone, like a iPhone or something or, or a, any kind of computer or computing technology, when you finally break it down, it's somewhat aramonic, but if you use it for good, you crush aramonic forces. So that's why I go so berserk on the memes and all out using yeah. those platforms because I'm using it for good to get the message out nonstop. That is the teaching of Manny's. Yeah, because you're, I mean, you're, hacking the system right because they're getting I, mean, I love seeing it because you did it on Facebook and now you're doing it on Instagram yep. and it's like memes that you can't not comment on you're like I need to say something and I see people <laughs> commenting like the ex-husband one or I don't know what you posted I was like laughing so hard the, because the, the, my favorite was this um was we put one out there and it was if your if your ex called you and was in jail and you had three words to say, what would you say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was reading through the comments, but it's genius because typically what you see is brands or people being like, no one's seeing my post. Can you please like it and tag someone? But you're just kind of like hitting them where, you know, they're just going to say something. They want to say something. And then it brings your page up obviously and then people can see the actual information that you're there to share which is so important and they don't need to go on telegram hopefully to see it right I mean obviously you go on telegram and you see real stuff and Instagram is just you know diluted I, but I learned long time ago that people have a tough time comprehending this for some reason but it was very deeply inculcated into me when I was very young which is the the message I learned from Pink Floyd which is you could look at a Pink Floyd record and you could see that there's like, oh yeah, this is, I like the music. I like Wish You Were Here. Okay, great song. You know, I could learn to play it on guitar and it's kind of fun. So it has that surface validity and yeah. surface magic and, you know, it's great music on the surface, but it's also deeper, very deep. And it goes layers and layers deep. And I got that in early. So all my media and all my books and everything I've ever tried to do has always been like that to try to hit different layers of consciousness because there's many people are just not going to care about the deeper meaning. Okay, no problem. So they're going to laugh at that meme and they're going to have fun. And they're going to comment, but some people are going to go a little deeper with it. So for example, the best comment on that particular meme was my friend, Ethan commented with free shavakadu. You know, free shavakadu. You know what that means? It, somebody's reading a sign at a, at like a fast food joint. It says fresh avocado. Oh. But they didn't know what it was. So yeah. So that was like, what's free shavakadu? <laughs> they don't even know what an avocado it, it was, is. That was the best thing ever. So how do you get back to the light and not judge and not shame, but really try and inspire by being that person that you're saying that that is chasing liberty, that really is bringing the, you know, not getting um, caught up in the different forces. Like, what do you say to that? You, you can't get emotionally involved in the outcome of what you're doing. That's what I'm going to say about that. I learned that very early on in my career. You can't get emotionally involved in that somebody's going to actually eat a goji berry or drink a celery juice or, you know, whatever it is. You, you, if you are emotionally involved in that, you're going to get dragged around. So you can't get emotionally involved whether people listen to you, whether they, they like your message, don't like your message. If you care too much about what other people are thinking, it's going to interfere with your message. You mm -hmm. can't get it out. So long ago, I had to let that go, all that kind of stuff. You, you've got to just shoot from the hip, call it as best as you can, put the, a good message out there, put a message that's filled with love, that sure, there's going to be people who take it wrong, but you're just going to do the best you can, and, and you just go for it. Mm -hmm. and, and 
you know, at this point in my life, I'm in my fifties now. I'm like, I, I'm, you know, I'm not walking on eggshells. Sorry, not yeah. going to do that anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot from the hip on all platforms. And what I like about all the different social media platforms is it gives me the opportunity to just put out different types of messages for different levels of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are waking up. We're going through the biggest wake up call in human history right now. We are. Yeah. So I, I don't care if 10 people don't wake up. The five who did, hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. What an amazing thing. And, and that's it. You can't get emotionally wrapped up in people's own lives. It's just, it's not going to work. Not even your family's lives. So here's, you know, like this vanilla right here. This is a whole category of herbalism. It's a whole category of food for a human being that we don't have. We're like people hear herbs, like you mean like oregano on my pizza? What do you mean yeah. herbs? Rosemary? What? You know what I'm saying? Like that whole category is missing for humanity. What we've got to do is we actually have to reclaim our power and fill that gap back up so we actually are fortified with immunological compounds that come from medicinal mushrooms, that come from gynostemma, that come from vanilla, that come from cayenne pepper, that come from oregano, that come from rosemary, that come from the great herbs of the world. And there are hundreds. Yeah. thousands tens of thousands but there's you know the top you know the super herbs are in the top say 111 in the world and that would be the the um, astragaluses of the world that would be the rishis of the world the chagas of the world and that kind of stuff and after a while if you're doing like 10 of those you're like i'm doing 10 of these that's enough yeah you're good i love it yeah thank you so much for joining us i just love you i love your perspective and it's been such a treat fantastic thank you so much it's been awesome <laughs>